you remember what it feels like to ride a bicycle up a hill? It's nowhere near as fun as riding it down a hill, is it? If it's a bike like the first bike that I had, there's no gears. There's the only way to get up that incline is to get out of the saddle and push with your whole weight into the pedals. It's tough work. Sometimes it's so tough, I'd end up walking next to my bike and, and, and pushing it the rest of the way. There's a hill near our house uh, that's one kilometre from the bottom to the top and 100 metres from the bottom to the top. That's a 10% average grade. So every 10 metres I go forward, uh, I go up one metre in elevation. It's a hill so hard that droves of lycra-clad ladies and lads do loops of it every morning. There's a tongue twister I didn't realise that I'd put in this. <laughs> that kind of climbing, it might seem beyond you, and that's okay. It's not normal to ride a bicycle like that. So just imagine, instead of you know climbing the hill at Bronte or the, the hill near you, which is 100 metres in elevation, you climb something much bigger, much bigger. In fact, the biggest, Mount Everest. That's 8,848 metres of elevation. It's a thing called Everesting. It's something that cyclists do. Ride the equivalent altitude of Mount Everest in one ride. Pick a hill, ride laps of it until you get 8,848 metres of climbing. It can take 12 hours sometimes. Now, if that's got you hurting just thinking about it, hold on to your helmets. My podcast guest this week is a world-famous ultracyclist, an Australian based in Spain, the incredible Jack Thompson. He's looked at the Everest and gone, yeah, how can I do better? Jack is riding 1 million metres of elevation in one calendar year, and he's trying to raise 1 million euros for charity while he does it. That's over 113 Everesting attempts, more than one a week. Over the weekend, just past, he broke through 900,000 metres of climbing. He's doing it to raise a million euros for mental health support services, Kids Helpline here in Australia, Strong Minds in Africa, and Outride in the US. Now, many charity challenges, similar ones, they're connected to a personal story. Jack's story is one that's absolutely worth listening to, the kind of story that would make you want to willingly strap your feet into some pedals and ride a million metres of mountain climbing in one year. My sit bones hurt just thinking about it. This podcast shares that story, and I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, we're going to play some ads. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When the alarm goes off and I have to go out and ride for six or seven hours, the one thing I do is I'll go into the bathroom and I'll look myself in the mirror and I'll tell myself that I'm going to go out and I'm going to ride that six or seven hours because, you know what, six or seven hours is nothing in the biggest scheme of things. And whether that's a five-kilometre run or a two-kilometre swim, like put it into perspective, that sense of putting things into perspective and looking yourself in the eye as you do that, I find is very powerful. And then when you are doing it, and it is tough, take yourself back to that, that time that you were looking in the mirror and you told yourself that you were going to do it and you've made that agreement within your own mind. For me, that is so powerful like, you know, you've told yourself you're going to do it, so don't let yourself down. For me, that is one of the most powerful things I've learned this year is that, you know, that agreement within yourself. That is ultracyclist Jack Thompson. I'm Osher Ginsberg, and this is Osher Ginsberg Better Than Yesterday. Hello and welcome to Osher Ginsberg, Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg and thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of it. This is a tri-weekly podcast here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday. That's it. That's what we do here. Something you hear on this episode, every episode will make your day better than yesterday. That's a guarantee. If you've never listened before, hi, I'm Osher. I'm an Australian Podcast Awards podcast nominee. I'm an author. I'm a TV presenter. I'm a producer, a writer, a dad, a stepdad, a person who currently walks on two of the five hips that I've owned in my life. Uh, Someone who's only just, just like an hour ago, ridden an actual bicycle, albeit an e-bike on turbo mode, an actual bicycle on the road for the first time since mid-August. And I did that about an hour ago. And that was nice. That was nice to, to do. If you want to see the previous episodes about chronic pain and hip surgery to learn why, in the words of Joe Biden to Barack Obama on the signing of the Obamacare Act, this is a big fucking deal. Yeah, it's a great moment. Go, go and find that. It's a pretty fun moment. <laughs> Hot mics. They're excellent and awful all at once. There's over 10 million downloads of this show, which I'm extraordinarily proud of. That's a big fucking deal. And I am so proud of the team that make this show every week to get that kind of figure. We all work super hard on the show. Hundreds of episodes are in the back catalogue. There really is something for everyone, from mental health to physical health to climate conversations, politics, professors, food, drag, sexuality, heteronormativeness, trans. There's like so much to explore. 
and I'm super proud of every episode we put out. If you want to chat with me and other people in the community around this podcast, you can find us on Discord. It's not Facebook, so it takes a little bit of effort to get there, but that is fine with me because it means there's no algorithms. It just means people who join me there are people who want to be there, and so far it is a really lovely time. And um, thanks to everyone who's on the Discord crew. It's great. I'll link to the Discords in the show notes. Let me tell you about my guest today. Jack Thompson is an ultra cyclist who grew up in Australia and now calls Girona in the mountains of Spain home. An ultra cyclist is someone who pushes beyond the standard distances and measurements of even the most elite high achieving cycling professionals. In 2017, he cycled 50,000 kilometers in 12 months. By 2019, he was doing three Everesting challenges on three separate countries in three days, 880 Ks, nearly 27,000 meters of elevation and 71 hours. That's including all transfers. In 2020, he set a Guinness World Record, the most kilometers ridden in seven days, 3,505 Ks. And in 2021, this one's bonkers, something he called the amazing chase, which is the Tour de France in 10 days. Every stage, 21 stages, three and a half thousand kilometers, 52,000 meters of elevation gain. That's a regular Tour de France takes 22 days. He did it in 10. Truly a gobsmacking, incredible effort of human endurance. And so what's he done in 2022? <laughs> in 2022, Jack has embarked on an astounding challenge. He's going to try to climb 1 million meters of elevation in one calendar year, all to raise money for mental health charities. Now, this might all sound like a blur of figures, so I'll distill it down. Jack is attempting to do what no other athlete in history has ever contemplated nor completed. What he's learning about himself, how his brain works, how to challenge negative thoughts, how to deal with the urge to stop when he's tired, how to get out the door when it's cold and rainy and his body aches, those lessons he's very generous in sharing throughout this conversation. And those are things that you and I can use every single day without ever getting on a bicycle or going near a hill. Jack's story is a big one. The motivation behind this challenge is, is a big one. It covers uh, mental ill health, drug use, drug addiction, suicidality. So just a heads up, those things are on the way. The link to donate to Jack's cause is in the show notes. You can click that now, throw some bucks his way if you can, or maybe wait till we're finished with the episode. I don't mind either way. This fella and those causes deserve our support. He's just crossed 900,000 meters as of this recording. When we spoke, it was a little under that. So you can follow his last 100,000 meters of climbing on Instagram. He's Jack Ultra Cyclist. Let him know you heard him here. And enjoy connecting with this superb Australian human being. This is Jack Thompson. I'm so excited to speak to you, mate, because what you're, what you're doing, I mean, I'm an, I'm an, I'm, I can be quite nerdy around my cycling. However, there'll be two people who will resonate with that, you and me. So there's a lot of people <laughs> listening who have no idea about a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about. But essentially, you are trying to climb one million meters of elevation in a calendar year. That's bananas. It's a lot of elevation and it's probably more elevation than I thought it was going to be on the 31st of December, 2021. So we kicked off on January 1 and yeah, I've yeah. had this goal and it's essentially to climb 20,000 metres 
every week of the year. And man, am I ready for this year to be finished. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay because it's a gargantuan effort. And, you know, when they when they interviewed David Tua at the end of the State of Origin and, you know, they've just won, and he's going, oh, that was, a, that was a hard game. That really that really hurt. Like he's the fittest, most brutal kind of incredibly nimble NRL player that's walked the earth in the last five years. It hurts. It's hard. Yeah. It's okay. It is hard. You know? <laughs> so it's a million metres of elevation to raise a million euro. Yeah. Exactly. A million euros for mental health. Amazing. And like, it's not like you woke up one morning and went, I'll do this. Like, like with anything, there was a, there was a buildup, you know, you, you kind of kick the ball a bit and went, oh yeah, I can do this. And then you kick the ball a bit more and yeah, I can do this a little bit more. And you know, you've done, it's called ultra cycling essentially it is, is the furthest you could possibly imagine riding on a bicycle without sleep or enough calories that is humanly possible um for some people they would be like well why the fuck would you do that why would you why would you deliberately ride a bike up a hill like some people you know? and, and let's be honest for i've asked start. myself the same question this year <laughs> yeah what i'm grateful to talk to you about is like this is a humongous thing that you're attempting but what i what i'm really excited to talk to you about is that the role that cycling has come to play in your life around um, managing your headspace. And I think sure. that's a, you know, there's something I definitely can relate to. And I know many people, whether it be literally riding, you know, the entire distance of the Tour de France in 10 flat days, which you did, and it's bonkers, same course, same hills, same mountain, same everything, but it's, 18 days or something quicker than everybody else like whether it's people don't do that but people will they go oh, i feel a bit shit i'll go for a walk they do 10 minutes walking around the block and they feel better exercise yeah. changes the way our brains work and it makes 100%. our brains work better and deal deal with things far better and so i think that's the thing that i think people might be interested to hear about but you you know where are you in the world right now you're you're in europe somewhere I'm in Spain, so I'm actually an hour north of Barcelona in a little medieval city called Girona, which has become home. Wow. So That is super cool. It's a bit of a change from Perth, Western Australia, but it, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually the hub of cycling worldwide, believe it or not. There's 200-odd professionals live in town. It's like a little wow. university town for cyclists, so to speak. It's like the LA of cycling. And is that because it is, what, A, close to an airport, B, has lots of really good hills quite close, and C, there's not a lot of traffic? Pretty much. It's cheap as well. It's cheap to live here. Uh-huh. Andorra's close, which a lot of the guys use as a tax haven. Um, weather's pretty good year-round. There's now the facilities here. I think it was originally you know, Armstrong was living here, so that created a bit of a buzz around it. And from there, it's just right. the infrastructure's grown. Far out. So, you know, if, if you need a, a spare cassette for your 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 bike, I oh, know, no, 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 the Shimano, the other one, like someone's got one nearby. You can get everything you need here. It's it's great. Right. It is good. Uh, wow, that's extraordinary. What a cool place to live. That is, but you don't you don't get there by accident. You know, there's at some point. Uh, yeah, I used to tell people when they asked what you moved to. I lived in Los Angeles for ten years, and they say, "Well, why, why'd you move there?" I'm like, "Well, look, if you're if you're a, a downhill skier and you want to be in the Olympics, you'll go move to 
you move to Austria or you'll move yeah. to you know somewhere where there's like proper proper mountains. If you're in finance, you'll move to Singapore, you'll move to London, you'll move to Manhattan, New York. You know, if you're in television, that's where you go because that's where yeah. they do it the best in the world. So it makes sense that someone who's operating at the elite level you are would want to be there at, at you know Mega Cycle HQ, uh, which is pretty sick. And I, I do love that after living there for quite a while, that I mentioned by now that you're. Australian, your Perth accent is still fabulously strong. That's glorious. <laughs> I'm trying to learn the local language because it's actually not Spanish, it's Catalan. And yeah, yeah. I do get told that my Catalan accent's not bad, but I think the Perth accent is still strong. It's, it's pretty good. You so what part of what part of Perth did you did you grow up in? So I grew up in Cottesloe, so on the coast there. Um, great spot to grow up. I guess the problem with, with Perth is it is, as you probably know, very remote if you want to make things happen. And I think especially in a cycling sense, it's we don't have mountains, we don't have big hills, and you're a long way from Sydney or Melbourne where most of the decisions get made in Australia. And it was in 2019, I actually came to Europe for a bit of a um, an event over here or a project and... I popped into Girona to show a film that we put together and suddenly these opportunities came to work with different brands and do different things and I thought, you know, it was never planned that I was going to move here but I thought, you know, I have to be here if I really want to make a go of this. Yeah. And I did have a dog at home. I didn't have a partner so the, the dog was the only thing sort of keeping me in Perth aside from family and friends and I thought, you know what, I have to take a bit of a plunge here. I'm gonna, I was lucky I've got an Irish passport so I didn't have to deal with the visa hoops. And I would actually went to a real estate agent and said, look, I need an apartment. And I just got a super cheap, shitty little apartment. But it was my sort of beginning of, you know, setting myself up in Europe and, and making a go of, of cycling. That, that's, that is fantastic. You, you came to cycling late, though. I, I, learned how to, I learned how to ride a bike, like, real early. I mean, I think I was eight when... We got the first like proper when everyone had BMXs and life was yeah. sick. You know, I was eight, but you, that was late for me and my my neighborhood. You you were even later, weren't you? So the funny thing with me is I, I started off riding normally, you know, like traditionally as you would as a kid. I then sort of went into triathlon as a um, early teen, and it was that time I my mental health wasn't good. You know, I, I noticed that there were things that went wrong. My parents had told me, you know, you need to go and chat with someone. And I was, I was confused. Like I was a young guy. I didn't really know what was going mm. on. And what I found was that doing the triathlon, having that swimming, riding and running, I guess, goals every day, it gave me a focus and it gave me a yeah. sense that I was actually achieving something. And so all throughout school, my mental health was really good because I had these little goals every day. If you fast forward a couple of years from school, I went to university and I gave the triathlon away and you know, I, I noticed that my mood really did drop off. I, I went into a very dark place and you know, I was studying construction management and economics at uni. I was working in that construction industry where there was a bit of a boom in Perth at the time and I had good yeah. income. I, wasn't, I didn't have expenses because I was still living at home and I basically found myself with a, with a drug addiction. Um, I was partying, I was, you know, burning the candle at both ends, so to speak. And I actually went into rehab for a little while in 2010. And when I came out, my dad said, you know, you need to get back on a bike, mate. And I said, yeah, 
the last thing I wanted to do was one, listen to my dad and two, get on a bike and start that whole process again. But I eventually gave in. Well, well hang on a second. Before we get to that, we're going to Quentin Tarantino this. We're going to do some non-linear storytelling. We understand that you got back on the bike, clearly. You're nearly, you're 800, as, as recording this, you're 866,008 meters into your million. So clearly you got back on the bike and it worked out. Um, but for people who are, you know, are listening who might have teenage kids, um, do you remember the kinds of things or have your parents talked about the kind of things they saw in you that gave them an indication that something wasn't right? Sure. So I guess I, like, I was very family-orientated growing up. Like we'd have dinner every night together. We'd, you know, we did a lot of things as mm. a family. And I sort of started to distance myself from that. You know, I was out more often than I was at home. I think my parents would say that I was, became more of an aggressive guy and I was never an aggressive guy growing up, but I didn't, you know, I didn't want to respect their decisions. Like I thought I was an adult and I thought I had the ability to go and do my own thing, but you know, I was miles from the truth. Well, that's, that's most, that's, that's teenage stuff. Yeah. I think we've all done it. But the giveaway for me was my parents decided, you know, they were going to have a bit of a sticky bit through my room and uh, they found basically a whole lot of, a whole lot of the gear that I was using at the time and the the party drugs and things. And basically it all came to a head when I got home from work one day. I went up to get changed after work and it was all laid out on my bed. And that was like Groundhog wow. Day because I was like, I don't know everything. Like I'd walked into home, I'd said hi to them. They hadn't mentioned anything. And that was almost quite scary for me that I'd gone in and I knew everything. How old were you at the time? I would, I would have been around 20. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And so I'm looking back now. It's pro I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here, Jack, but having yeah. read enough about you, I'm going to say that there might have been some self-medication going on. Um Yeah, like how did you how did you justify it at the time? What was it that drinking and using gave you? It gave me the high, like the escape from normal life. I was yeah. studying a degree I wasn't really interested in and I was working in an industry I wasn't interested in. And for me, it was getting away from that and feeling that sense of freedom. And whether that was on the weekends out at a, a nightclub with mates, whether it was, you know, sitting in my room by myself, like I needed to escape what was going on in day-to-day -day normal life. And I wasn't happy in normal day-to-day yeah. -day life. I didn't have goals. I didn't have ambitions. I wasn't focused on any one task i was basically floating in the wind and the drugs gave me something that was gave me that focus it gave me that escape it gave me that sense of enjoyment and fun something that i was missing in life you are you are i, I know i did set you up to answer the question for you but um you are you are describing what my sponsor says hedonic recall which is only remembering the parts which are <laughs> uh, you know are the, are the reasons that you you know why you were chasing it, but what were the what were the effects, both uh, your health effects and the effects of the people around you, that you would either justify away or diminish or excuse away that were happening, and I'm assuming were happening with greater intensity. How were the people around me affected by what I was doing? Like I'm thinking about my own drinking and using. Right, I've been sober twelve and a half years, right, and so at the time the way I was drinking and the way I was using uh, and the things I was avoiding facing by drinking and using led my behavior to be 
quite shit. I was a quite, you know, I was a, a bit of a crap person to work with. I had been, you know, treated people in ways that I would, you know, then the next day go, oh, I can't believe I did or said that. And then five hours later, I'd be drinking and using again and I'd do the same shit again, you know. Um, yeah. It's, I, but I would, you know, like kind of minimize or diminish or, or, or explain that away, like just so I could not have those uncomfortable feelings stop me from, you know, grabbing another sixer in a bottle of whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, like, if I was outside of home, like if I was at work or if I was, I don't know, with friends or with the family of friends, like I've, I've probably seen like I was pretty well behaved, you know, like I was, I was, they probably wouldn't pick anything, but it was more at home. It's sort of my parents copped the wrath of it. And I, at home, I became right. a bit of a demon because they were the people that I trusted and they were the people that I felt comfortable with. As soon as I was put in that position with, where I was with someone, whether it be the boss at work or the guy that I was working with, I was a bit of a saint. Like I was a bit of a goody goody. Like I was, you know, I was yeah. all too happy to try and please them and keep them happy. But then when I got home, like I changed. And I think it was because, you know, I had that sense of trust and that relationship mm. with my parents where, you know, they saw the good, they saw the bad, they saw everything. And that was my place to unleash. And I think that's probably one of the things that, you know, as you say, tipped them off to, to me using. It probably says in the title of the podcast, hey, this is a guy that's, you know, riding shitloads of bicycles, but sometimes these these podcasts turn into talks about sobriety because I know certainly when I was drinking and using, I didn't hear enough stories of people who are achieving fucking amazing things being sober and without, you know, or having gotten sober or been through a program. And I, th I think it's important to you know, have these conversations and, and you know, let pe let people kind of know that, oh, there's another thing you can do that doesn't sure. involve the glass barbie. You know, there's other things you can do yeah. that can bring you giant amounts of fulfillment and, and, and stuff. Um, but I do know enough about these situations, particularly in the family dynamics when a kid, um, you're, you're 20, but you're still living at home. The, the Even though you're an adult, you're paying tax, you can go to prison. There's the familial kind of relationship yeah. is still there. There's the, yeah. you know, there's still the parent-child state waiting to be activated. And in those situations, trying to get the person who's in the child role into rehab, if they don't want to go, it, they can go, but it, it, it won't, won't stick. So yeah. what for you was the, the, what for you was the thing that helped you get there and helped you kind of understand what was actually going on? So for me, that, so that day that I got caught, if you want to call that the Groundhog Day, my dad took me out for dinner and he said we need to have a chat. And for me, that was pretty intimidating. And we went and had a chat and he, I remember he, he very clearly, he said to me like, unless you stop using, then I'm going to basically delete you from the family. Like we don't, we don't want, we don't want you anymore. Like he was very strict and very stern with me. And that's exactly what I needed. And at that time, I basically decided, you know, I can't, I, d I can't afford to, and I don't want to lose the family that I have around me because I do have all these good memories. I, you know, I do love them, yeah. and so I basically gold, gave up cold turkey. And for me, I went wow. right off the deep end. So I went into like a deep state of depression. I was suicidal. I, I basically went to my psychologist and was talking to him. He put me to a psychiatrist. We did some testing. And I think it was that sense for me of being suicidal. Like that scared the shit out of me because, you know, I had everything going for me. I, I wasn't sick. I didn't have, um, yeah, I didn't have like crazy amounts of debt. Like I didn't have anything to be suicidal over, and that was really scary. 
And so I think for me, that was the thing that, you know, I didn't feel ashamed. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't scared. I needed help and I realized that I needed help because I realized that it wasn't normal for me to feel like that. And so for me, going into that rehab, going through that recovery process, it was that sense of like, you know, I need help. I realized that I needed the help. And yeah. for me, like, it, I never sort of rebounded back after that in a negative way, I mean. Massive credit to your dad for doing that. Uh, we've spoken on this show a, a number of times. I, ha- I had the doctor that helped get me much better uh, on once and we, we had this whole chat about loving disconnection and that sometimes when, you know, it's if, particularly if it's your kid, it feels like the worst thing in the world to do, but actually removing your unconditional love from them yeah. is the best thing you can do for someone who's in that addiction spiral because the alternative is like, oh, we'll try and get you better, I'll lend you 100 bucks, lend you 200 bucks. They never they never learn the lesson. Yeah. They never hit the bottom. And and he tells a story where that 200 bucks was the 200 bucks that eventually overdosed the, the kid. And yeah. it's horrifying to yeah. understand that because you think you're doing the right thing. You think you're looking after this person who you, you know, you love more than anything in the world. It's, it's a really tough one. Um, but God damn, for your dad to do that, that is big. That is really, really big. What was, what was rehab like? Did you sit did, Like, did you fight it? Were you like, I don't belong here. I'm fucking fine. Like I felt, yeah, I did feel out of place because I, I realized that I had a problem, but I didn't realize like the idea or the word rehab is quite, for me, it's quite taboo. Like it's like, wow, like I'm in a really bad place to be, you know, sitting here with other people that are junkies or, you know, I was essentially a junkie. Mm. Like, you know, Mm. I'm I'm exactly the same, but I didn't see myself as a junkie because I still had a normal job. I was still, you know, exercising. I was still doing normal things, but I was a junkie. And I was sitting in a room with other junkies and other people that were, you know, from my point of view, you know, crazy but i was i was just the same Uh, but i was seeing myself in this different light so that was quite intimidating you're you're really lucky to have seen that i've i've seen people just sit in those rooms and just go yeah but i'm not like you therefore i don't have to do the things because it I'm in the wrong place. I've been put here, you know, against my will. but i'm doing this because you know a court ordered me to do it or my parents want me to do it yeah And that's a, that's really hard, you know, that you're lucky that you saw that. Yeah. And, yeah. and bear in mind, you know, people think you can end up being a junkie off of drugs you can get from the chemist. Like don't think sure. you have to score off like a weird dude in an alleyway or someone who drives WRX to become a junkie. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> you, can, you, you can convince enough GPs to give you the kind of drugs that will make you an addict any day of the week, man. Like yeah. it's, it's out there. It's out there, and no one's no one's immune to it. I don't care how good your family is, or how great your job is, or your career is, or your life is. It's absolutely, you know, irrespective of your social status or where you are, it, it can come for you. We we always have this perception, like perhaps you're the same. It'd be interesting what other listeners think that you know a junkie is somebody that sits in an alleyway with a syringe in their arm and is shooting up heroin, like. Sure, that's one type of junkie, but there's you know there's other junkies that are going to work every day. They're making very good money, and then they come home, and that's when they hit the bottom. And it's like 
it's difficult to describe what a junkie is because you know there isn't one type of junkie. There's yeah. there's high functioning, there's low functioning. It's yeah. yeah. Mm. If, if it, and the only way to define it for me, and you know, there's more than eleven steps and less than thirteen steps to help me get where I am. There we go. <laughs> as long as the person is is completely powerless over whether they do it or not. Now, this could be shopping, gambling, sex, drinking, using. If they have absolutely no choice in the matter, that's it. That's it. Yeah. That doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how yeah. how much or little. The dosage doesn't matter how much or little the time spent doing it. Um, that will then it's a it's a spiral that it's nigh impossible to get out of without help because the sure. way our dopamine system gets so dysregulated, and um, yeah, it can be and it can have long lasting effects. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but the the, the petrol I've poured on the fire of the brain I was born with left me in a far worse state than. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it would have come for me eventually. Would have come yeah. for me eventually. I can guarantee you that. But it, you know, I definitely sped things up a bit. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, how do you how do you begin to rebuild your life? Because I know, you know, some people may it might be, oh, I'm only who I am because I'm, you know, on the gambling apps with my mates, and I'm, you know, therefore I'm one of the boys, and I'm here, or I only am who I am because I've got all these handbags and I spend all my money on on these shoes or whatever. Or like oh, I only am who I am because I'm the, you know, when the when the when the tequila comes out, that's when Party Tim arrives, and off we go. I don't know Party Tim. Um, you know, how do you then re- recreate the definition of yourself on the other side of that? That's difficult, and I. So I've got a bit of an obsessive. Well, I've got an obsessive compulsive personality. So for me, with the drugs, it was like it was all in. So then yeah. coming off the back of that, like I felt lost, you know, and I think. Again, like kudos to my dad for getting me on a bike and giving me that new focus. Because for me, it was just having that focus that gave me, you know, like I had a high again suddenly. Like it was that exercise high. And I remember like I did that first ride with him and immediately I was at work and I was looking at buying a bike. (laughs) It was amazing how quickly I snapped from, you know, being obsessed about one thing to being obsessed about the other. But it was exactly what I needed, and you know, like you know what it's like, like looking at all the the new things, like oh, which, which wheels am I going to use? Like it's all very geeky, but it gave yeah. me that new obsession. And then yeah. it was, you know, it took time. Like to begin with, I was riding with my dad and his mates. Like I didn't have that group of guys mm. around me at the time that you know I had when I was partying. But you know, with time, I developed that group of friends again. I guess the cycling community became that group of friends. And I think, you know, one of the great things about the cycling community is, you know, I could be a 20 year old guy sitting next to a 60 year old guy in a, in a group ride. And it doesn't really matter what age we are. We're still riding together. We're still sharing in that same experience. And for me, that's what's great about cycling is that inclusivity. But yeah. that's what I needed. I needed that club environment. I needed the people around me. And that basically allowed me to sort of unlock that next chapter of my life. Mate, even when I was at my, like when I was riding like two, nothing like you, when I was riding two, 300 Ks a week, even at my, I would get smoked by that 60 year old. Yeah. Even at my lightest, I would get smoked by that guy. And he looks like he's like rides twice a week. Yeah. It's just like you, there's some secret, some secret assassins in those group rides. I'm telling you, man, some secret, secret assassins. The ultimate level of cycling. Uh, 
Yeah, sure is, man. Sure is. Your father, though, he's not just any old cyclist. Come on, you had, you had, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And the kind of riding your dad does isn't kind of regular, you know, middle-aged man in lycra riding, is it? No. So admittedly, I grew up with a dad that was very adventurous and was quite lucky that he retired at a young age. And he's diabetic. And I think one of the reasons he retired at a young age was that he realized that, you know, life was actually for living. And at the time he had enough money to, to sort of leave work um, because he wanted to he wanted to pursue that life that was worth living. And he decided he was going to ride his bike around the world. And <laughs> so we grew up with his dad that was, he didn't do it all in one hit. So it wasn't, you know, like two years around the world, but every year he'd choose a chunk of the world that he was going to go and ride around. So growing up, we had this dad that was always away doing these crazy adventures. And at the time, I didn't realize the impact that it was having on me. But I think it gave me that sense. I, I've, I longed for that sense of adventure that my dad had, had followed as a, as a 50-year-old 50, 50 guy. And I guess that's, yeah, that's where the sort of adventurous spirit in me comes from. Well, you'd seen it happen. I mean, like what would he do? Would he do like three weeks at a time, four weeks at a time? I think the longest stint he did was eight weeks. So he rode from oh, China, wow. Shanghai to Istanbul. So across the Silk he like he was actually in the news because he they ended up in a civil war in Tajikistan. And they had to get helicoptered out. Like it was, he's got some crazy stories. But yeah, you know, this is scary shit. But for me, it was like this is exciting shit. At all times, when you get on a helicopter, on a if you're on a group ride and you get on a helicopter, be sure to stop the GPS because that will ruin your segment. <laughs> In my case, I'm actually leaving it on because I want the elevation. <laughs> <laughs> you, you started, you know, kind of doing these bigger and, and bigger rides. And what I kind of really love, there's one thing that you talk about that's really stuck with me in that. When it comes to cycling and anyone, like I said earlier, anyone that's tried to ride a bicycle up a hill, it, it's hard, all right? Not only is it your body weight, it's the weight of this machine beneath you. And like, yes, the more expensive or the better dentist you are, the lighter bike you have. But, um, you know, still, they, you know, it's a, he it's a heavy thing and you've got yeah. to go up the same hill that you would walk up, you know, doing an action that's not really like walking. And there's this word that cyclists pride themselves on. Oh, man, it was just, I suffered. I suffered. Yeah. There's even an app. There's a cycling app called the Sufferfest, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, you know, it's this word that people just pride themselves on. And the way you speak about that in relation to our mental health is, I, I, look, I just, I find that's just really a, a really interesting way in to conversations you otherwise couldn't have. I think, you know, as cyclists, like you said, like we enjoy, and it's not even just cyclists, it's runners, it's swimmers, it's, you know, whatever it is, we, we celebrate the fact that we can suffer. And it's like, yeah, you know, he can push himself so hard or she can, you know, she can just bury herself when she's in the pool. And it's, we celebrate that. But when it comes to mental health, it's seen as a weakness. Like, oh, you know, he's suffering, like, you know, let's just give him a bit of space, like he, he needs time or, you know, like why don't we celebrate the fact that we can suffer within our own minds and come out the other side? Like why, why, don't, we suffer, why don't we celebrate that? And I think it's society. I think society, it, it's, it's a weakness to suffer in normal life. But in the sporting arena, it's seen as a, as a badge of honour. 
And it's something that I, you know, I'm passionate about trying to change. Like I want people to realize that suffering is not weak. You know, suffering is a sense of strength. And, you know, to come out the other side is an immense sense of strength involved in, in achieving that. There's no path to victory that does not involve suffering. No. Certainly in the athletic arena. No. Absolutely not. Not at all. And so similarly, when it comes to your mental health, there's no there's no path to having better mental health that doesn't involve, I want to use the word suffering so people can get around it. There's no path to feeling better with your mental health that doesn't involve discomfort of doing yeah. the work that can get you there. Yeah. And I think it's only through that suffering or the discomfort or the, you know, it helps to put things in perspective as well because, you know, the high of achieving something is nothing if you haven't been through the the low of, you know, suffering or discomfort in order to get there. And I think without that that level of discomfort, if you want to use that word, or suffering or hardship, you know, the high is worth nothing. Because, you know, if you were if you it's like drug, like if you were high every day, it would it would wear off very quickly. And I think it's it's part of that journey, you know, like the the climbing to the top of the hill is the difficult part. And then the enjoyment is that, you know, that long descent. I think there's so many similarities. Hang on a in, sec. We're, sure. We're, <laughs> we're getting a visit. Come on in, guys. Are you guys coming in? We're getting a visitor here. Hey, who's here? Hey, it's so purple. Come on in. Come on in. Hey. This is Hello. Jack. Jack, this Jack. is Wolfie. Oh, Wolfie, how are you? How are you, Wolfie? You good? Yeah? Yep. Jack Jack rides bicycles a very long way. We ride bicycles, don't we? Dad? What color is our big bike? Blue. It's blue, isn't it? And we have a secret that you might need. Every yeah. time we go up, so Wolf's got a seat on the back of his bike, and when we go up a very big hill, how do I need? To, how do I get up the hill? What do you use? What sound does it make? He's got a kind of tooty oh, horn, horn on the back of his, yeah, on his yet maxi <laughs> bike seat. And um, that's the extra power that we need to get up the big hills. That makes dad go faster. When you're doing your big mountain climbing next time, you call Wolf and Wolf will sort you out. I don't know where we were before Wolfie came in. <laughs> we were so chatting about, oh, the fact that like suffering in the sporting arena is yes. celebrated. Yeah, and this idea of the, doing the work is, you know, the, the work is uncomfortable because sometimes you've got to, you know, certainly in, in my case when it came to my sobriety, it was like, oh, I'm face down in a gutter full of shit because of my choices. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. Can't blame anybody else for this. <laughs> okay, and that's hard. There's something I've been avoiding for a very long time. And it's hard to do that work. It's it's uncomfortable. It's discomfort. Like especially if you've got to go through, you know, any kind of childhood trauma or anything. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. But it's but there's victory at the other end. Yeah. And the victory tastes so much sweeter when you've had to work to get <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. Like, and it's it's yeah. it's, extra, it's extraordinary. You know, the adaptation of the brain um, to stimulus. Uh, yeah. You know, the parallels with exercise I use all the time. I mean, I bet you at one point in your career, whether, you know, you were riding 21 stages of the Tour de France in 10 days or, you know, riding for seven days, like breaking the world record for seven days of distance unsupported. Like at one point he went, I'm the fittest I've ever been. Like 
How does that compare to how you are now? I am I'm fitter than I've ever been now. Like the difference being <laughs> that like this is a year-long challenge. Like a yeah. year is a long time and it is like it is monotonous to say the least. Like I do the same thing every day, every week. Sure, the the number of meters I climb each day varies, but like, you know, I've become very accustomed to doing this. And it's only probably in the last three or four weeks that my body, the weight has started to fall off. Like I realize like I'm really pushing it now because, you know, I can, I'm one of those guys that can put on weight very quickly and I don't lose weight very quickly when I'm, I can do massive miles and I don't lose weight, but my body is now like, yeah, you know, like, you've done enough, like we're coming to the end, we need some help and we're going to shed a bit of weight just to help you get through that last little bit. But like, yeah, I am, some of the numbers at the moment are, like the fatigue numbers are insanity, insanity. I don't know what they are, like for, for help, help us understand what okay, they are. Okay, yeah. So for, an, for example, there's a, a metric called training stress score, TSS. So for a rider in the Tour de France, their typical TSS for that whole, say for a week of the Tour de France, is around 1,100 to 1,300. That's how stressed their body is with that training load, riding back to back. This year, my training stress stress score has been 1,600 plus every single week for the year as a minimum. And so the, the level of fatigue and it's just like doing 52 weeks of the tour de france like it is an insane level of stress on the body and like i'm getting through it the riding i can deal with like i'm i'm happy to put myself through the absolute ringer to get this done but i think one of the things that i've actually suffered with this year is that that sense of raising money because i can't control that people donating money it's up to them to donate like i can't grab your wallet out of your pocket and put in, grab 20 bucks out of your wallet and put it in the donation bin, you know, like, and I struggle with that because I like to try and control things. And like I said, the riding I can control and that's great because I'll go out and I'll ride as much as I need to to reach that million meters. But there's a limit to what I can do with the fundraising. And I'm just hoping that as I come to the end of the year and, you know, the buzz sort of picks up and the light's there and I can see the end that those donations pick up as well because I think, you know, I'm doing this for a reason. I'm not doing it because I love climbing, you know, hours on end on my bike. I'm doing it because I actually want to help people who don't have access or the ability to, to seek help. And, you know, while it's great I get to ride a bike all day, it's actually not that great because I am absolutely in the box. I am incredibly fatigued and, you know, I just hope that at the end of this, it's all worthwhile, and you know, I can help help people that need that help. It's it's not to be sniffed at. Two hundred and sixty odd thousand euro is a is a lot of money. Yeah, and you, you raise climbing a million meters of elevation for a million euros is uh it's a it's a it's a huge goal, and to. I can I get why it would be hard to see yourself what nine rides out from the end and seeing where the numbers are and 
being with how uncomfortable you are with that externality, which you have no control over. Yeah. I've sort of come to accept that I'm like, you know, I've done what I can do. Like I, I've left no yeah. stone untouched yeah. and, you know, I'm happy, you know, like I would love to reach a million euros, but if I don't like, it is what it is. Whatever happens, it is already incredible. All right. You've got to, you have to know that already. It is unbelievable. There's, there's things that you learn about yourself. And yeah. um, I've had it, I've had a number of like uh, having done some sort of, you know, endurance run, running myself and had a number of people who done endurance events um, on the show. There's things that you find out about yourself and things you find out about the way your brain works that only happen when you have been going for yeah. six or seven hours nonstop. What have you, what have you learned about the negative thoughts that are going, just stop, mate, just stop, just just pull over, it's fine, just stop. Like what yeah. have you learned about how to deal with those kind of thoughts? Like I've, I've what you've said is 100% right. Like I've developed some some tips and tricks and tools. Like I've, I've, I feel like I have like a toolbox next to me now that I can use, you know, I can grab out the hammer tool at any one time and I can knock that little voice on the head. Like I've developed these tools and, you know, little things like, for example, you know, somebody wants to get up in the morning and go for a run, you know, any, anyone. And, you know, the alarm goes off. They don't really want to get up. Like you know, how can you combat that? For me, like I, I feel that all the time. Like when the alarm goes off and I have to go out and ride for six or seven hours, the one thing I do is I'll go into the bathroom and I'll look myself in the mirror and I'll tell myself that I'm going to go out and I'm going to ride that six or seven hours because, you know, what, six or seven hours is nothing in the biggest scheme of things. And whether that's a five-kilometer run or a two-kilometer swim, like put it into perspective, that sense of putting things into perspective and looking yourself in the eye as you do that, I find is very powerful. And then when you are doing it and it is tough, take yourself back to that, that time that you were looking in the mirror and you told yourself that you were going to do it and you've made that agreement within your own mind. For me, that is so powerful. Like, you know, you've told yourself you're going to do it, so don't let yourself down. For me, that is one of the most powerful things I've learned this year is that, you know, that agreement within yourself. Yeah, what, what I love is that, like using the mirror as a almost a visual cue for the, the two the, the two selves that we hold within, within us. There's the reactive self and then there's the observant self. There's the person that says the dumb thing in the meeting, and then there's a you going, "Fuck, that was dumb." You know, <laughs> there's the two of you know the, we we live in there together, right? Yeah. But we don't want to, but we do. We're not we don't hear voices. There's two parts of us, right? Yeah. And by using the mirror, by using the mirror, you are your own self is holding you accountable, which I really really love. My my old manager back in LA, John Ferret, amazing bloke, he used to say to me, "Man, you can you can do this if you know you can." You can do the work before the audition or you or not or whatever. He goes, only you know how hard you've worked to make your dreams come true. Yeah. Like you could not get the job and I'll say, sorry, you didn't get the job. You're the only one that will lie in bed at night and know actually how much effort you put in. Yeah. You've got to live with that. I don't. I don't remember yeah. hearing that going, oh, fuck you, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, read a, I read a book recently and it, and it sort of touches on this idea of, you know, your, your potential as a human. And you imagine, like, whether or not you believe in God, 
when life comes to an end, I want you to picture that you're at the gates to heaven or hell. And, you know, you get there and they say to you, all right, let's have a look there. Osha, what has he achieved in his life? And you can sort of see it all unfolding. You've got these thoughts and memories coming back to you. Imagine if you were standing there and you realized that you actually hadn't achieved your full potential. You know, like, how scary a thought is that? Like, life's over and you haven't actually achieved what you had the ability to achieve. And for me, that sense of looking in the mirror and asking yourself, like, am I going to do this or am I not going to do it? That's almost the same process in my mind. It's like, am I going to achieve what I want to achieve or am I going to, you know, roll over and go back to bed? Like, do, how badly do I want this? Like, how badly do I want to be my best self? And for me, that is like incredibly powerful. Like, I have, like I have goosebumps thinking about that, that definition of, you know, what it is that we as humans have the ability to achieve in our lifetimes and how, how many of us actually achieve that. Just a moment away from Jack to let you know that if you want to get involved with a community of people who get something out of this podcast, uh, Discord is a place to go. The link's in the show notes. It's not Facebook. It's not Instagram. It's not Twitter. There's no algorithms. I don't think there's any billionaires. Everyone's pretty lovely and it's a rather nice space to be. I'm enjoying being part of it. It's, you know, it's not huge, but it because it's a little tricky to get to, it means the people that have got there really want to be there. It's really nice. I'm enjoying it. The other way to get in touch is pretty simple. Uh, send Osher email at gmail.com. And this podcast is supported by people just like you, people who listen to the show. You can help me make sure that this show keeps coming every single week by visiting patreon.com slash Osher. If you saw me out and about and you went, hey, that podcast that I heard with uh, Joel Gerges uh, or whatever, I really got a lot out of that. Uh, let me buy you a cup of coffee. Uh, just as a way of saying thanks to the episodes and what they might have brought you, that's about as much as it costs to make a big difference here. Five bucks a month, that just goes a hugely long way to make sure that Bree and Andy and Rachel and Mike and I, we all get to keep paying the bills and we all get to make this show three times a week. Three episodes a week at $5 a month. What's that? Three, four. Oh, I can't do maths at all. I'm going to use a calculator. That's right. 41 cents an episode. Has this episode already given you 41 cents of value? If it has, maybe. That's, that's cheaper than an icy pole. And I, I would dare say, with satisfaction, that goes a lot longer. Patreon.com slash Osher. If you can't afford five bucks a month, that's fine. Doesn't matter. The people who can and do support us at Patreon are making sure that you get your podcast three times a week too. Everyone gets a show. We all get to keep making the show. It all works great. You can also support the show in other ways. You can tell people about it. Word of mouth is an incredibly powerful way for people to help us here. Uh, just share this episode, like, rate, subscribe, comment, whatever you can do, wherever you can do it. It doesn't cost you anything, but it really does help us. It all helps. We love making these shows and we love that you like to listen to them. Uh, we're going to continue with Jack in, in just a moment. We're going to get pretty nerdy about keeping up the calories. The numbers are staggering. Uh, he shares some really great advice from his coaches and how he deals with my nemesis, the fuckets. Back with Jack in a sec. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Eight thousand eight hundred forty-eight meters is okay, I'm done for the day. All right, that's it shit ton of elevation and the amount of distance you've got to cover to get that kind of elevation is a lot like we took sometimes hundreds of kilometers to get it right but we only see the sunny days on instagram don't we we don't see the piss freezing rain the trucks passing too close to you you're out of food your glycogen's through the floor you're completely on you you're, you're dizzy from not eating enough oh, i've got another you know 48 k's to go like yeah. the fuckets must really creep up on you how do you get past them then I use a secret weapon called music. <laughs> so for me, music is like, it's, I guess, like sensory deprivation. So I don't listen to music until I really need to listen to music. And this is one of, I say, a couple of tools that I use. But like for an Everest, for example, you've got 12 hours on the bike. I will never listen to music until I've done six or seven hours. Right. Because for me, the music then becomes that reward. And it's, for me, it's, those little rewards, whether it's music or whether it's the, you know, the coffee chill I'm going to have at the end of the ride or the muffin, it's setting those little milestones and then being able to tick them off and achieve them that helps me get through that difficult time. And whether that's you know two kilometers into a five-kilometer run or it's six hours into a 12-hour day on the bike, I think those little rewards no matter how big or small they are. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, you're going to go and buy yourself a new car. You can reward yourself with listening to your favorite song on Spotify. Like that's still a reward because you've, you know, you, you haven't listened to it for six hours and having those little, yeah, for me, that's, that's a little trick that I use to sort of get through a difficult time. It's like, you know, if I just get to that next, the top of that next climb, then I'm going to put the music in. That's enough for me to get there. And that really is when it comes to, you know, huge events like this. But also, say someone wants to drop five kilos by, you know, by summer or say somebody wants to do better on their report card. It's very hard to do all at once. Yeah. How have you found breaking and you you cycle most of the time besides that time you went to london and did 180 hill repeats which is <laughs> bananas uh most of the time you cycle a very familiar route H- how does it help you to break down this gargantuan task these 12 hours of suffering how does it help you to break it down to you know hour k corner pedal stroke yeah i never look at it so if we look at it, say, look, let's look at a million meters. That seems like a whole lot of elevation. Yeah. But I never look at it. Because it is. It is. It's, <laughs> it's bananas, mate. It is a whole lot of elevation. I don't look at it as a million meters. I look at it like this. I've got 52 weeks of 20,000 meters, which means I've got 52 weeks, seven days in every week, 
of, on average, 3,000 meters every day, which is, on average, four or five hours, which on average is you know, a quarter, of a, one-sixth of a day. Like, it's, it's not that bad. And by putting it into perspective, by creating these little, I guess, goals that you're ticking off, a goal within a goal becomes very powerful because you're achieving something every day and it's all being put towards that end goal. So for me, it's breaking it down into small manageable chunks. And if I can achieve those little chunks each day, then yeah, that keeps me content. It keeps me focused on the bigger goal um, without it seeming too overwhelming. Because the idea of going and climbing a million meters in a year, like how do you break that down? Like you'd go crazy if you didn't. I'm guessing when you're doing, you've got enough experience to know I, I need this many calories when I go out. I need to be able to stop for water here, there, and everywhere. You know, for anybody that has never had it happen to them, if when you run out of available glycogen, when you run out of so all the carbohydrates that I've eaten and my my fat stores can't switch over fast enough, have now run out, and my body is no longer working properly, and it can affect you cognitively, it can affect your vision. Have you found yourself? in that spot, yeah. like literally a hundred and something kilometers from home. Yeah. And the sensation, like to give listeners like an idea, it's like you're seeing stars. Like imagine your vision goes blurry. The lights become very bright. You feel lightheaded. Like it, it is not a comfortable feeling. And yeah, like I've, I've been there and it's, it's all learning. Like I've got some strategies now, like I'll, you know, I know that I eat every half an hour. Um, I have bottles loaded with carbohydrate. Like it's a matter of putting that structure in place for, I guess, a bit of a nutrition structure is very important. But like it's all learning. And I, I've been there and I've been you know, miles from home on a Sunday and nothing's open and it's not much fun. But hey, when you get home and you crack open the can of Fanta or whatever it is that you've got in the fridge, it tastes so good. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anyone listening is probably, I'm, I'm sure everybody listening probably has an idea of how many calories are in something. They probably at least know if I eat the, you know, the supersized number two meal at the burger joint every day, I'm not going to fit into my jeans in two <laughs> weeks from now. It's just not going to happen because I'm, I'm consuming more than my, you know, two and a half or how many thousand calories a regular adult has to consume in a day. And anyone that's done, you know, interval training class or gone to the gym knows what i fucking work for it like 300 calories that's it <laughs> that's like half a mass that's half a chocolate bar yeah w- what are we talking what are we t- how many calories a day yeah. let's be lance armstrong and oprah how many calories a day uh no the first time not the second time how many calories <laughs> a day are you going through so every hour i'm on the bike i'm burning around a thousand calories so on a day where i'm doing 12 hours i'm burning probably just under a thousand calories now, but I'm burning around 10,000 calories. And then I add on on top, like your daily two and a half thousand, there's 12 and a half thousand calories. And then the fact that your metabolism is is firing, like it's really hard to consume enough food not to lose weight. And like, I'm not going to lie, like every now and again, I'll end up at McDonald's because like I need the calories. Like there's no other way that I can actually physically consume that number of calories. 
You're like a bodybuilder, but like without the like like super gross. Like when you see those bodybuilder documentaries and they show them eating, it's the most terrifying thing you've ever seen. Yeah, they're trying to pump. They're, they're trying to pump similar amounts of calories into their bodies to get the you know the uh, being in caloric excess to get the muscle uh, you know synthesis, yeah. the protein synthesis. Um, but this is entirely like every day. Jesus, bro. So every day I'm not burning that much. So every day I'm t- typically I'll burn four or five thousand on the bike. And then I'll have my wow. typical two and a half thousand daily burns. So, so let's say five to seven thousand calories a day. So to give you an idea, the, the grocery bill is through the roof. <laughs> I'll bet. I will absolutely bet. But while we're here, while we're talking about on a typical day, four or five thousand calories, what's that? A six hour ride, five hour ride? Yeah. 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 Okay. So six hours of hard riding up bloody mountains. Uh, you can eat that in about 17 minutes at your local drive through <laughs> So just think about that. I'm not even shitting you. Like yeah. next time you're going through a drive through and you're ordering the bigger thing with the extra thing and another piece of that, a few more pieces of that one, please, you can sit in your car in the car park and you can eat that amount of calories like that. Ask yourself if tomorrow you're going to go and ride that six <laughs> or seven hours on the bike to burn off those calories. Yeah. If the answer is no, then... Don't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, my buddy Ruben uh, Meerman, he's a he's a scientist, and he always he did he wrote the whole book about about fat and he and he uh, body fat human like the kind of kind that we like to get rid of so we can get in our favorite genes. And he always says that you know it's very very easy to out eat your exercise, but it's very hard to out exercise your eating. Yeah. And hearing you talk about that, it's you know. I am amazed a at what the human body can do, and yeah. also amazed at your personal ability to be willing to put yourself in that spot and go, okay, let's see what happens here. Let's see what we can. Let's see what doors we can un- unlock yeah. here. Um, you mentioned you mentioned earlier when you were a teenager that you when you were running and swimming and riding all the time that you were quite quite balanced. How how's your mental headspace with all this stuff going on? Generally, it's pretty good, but I'm not going to lie. This year has put a lot of strain on my on my mental headspace, and I think that's because I'm just fatigued all the time. And you know, when you're fatigued, you're a little bit. You know, my partner would say that I'm, yeah, a little bit grumpy at times, and like I would agree with her. Like, it's it's difficult because like. This is also work. So I have the stress of, you know, what's happening next year? Like I'm still trying to achieve this, but I'm already trying to plan for next year. And there's little stresses that I think people perhaps don't realize that really add a lot of stress. Like I've tried not to get sick all year, which means I don't really go out. Like I, I have to be quite careful. Like I don't, you know, there's things like I don't, do this year because like I, you know, I'm trying to achieve something huge and yeah. that adds a level of stress and it adds a level of probably mental fatigue. And so for that reason, I'd say like generally I'm very good, but at times I am, yeah, like yesterday I had a really shitty day. Like I just didn't have a good day, wasn't in a good headspace, felt like I was on the bike for you know an eternity and didn't enjoy it. But that's part of life. And I think, you know, whether it's on the bike, whether it's in normal life, like we have good days and we have bad days. And whether or not you suffer from depression or not, like 
life is a bit of a roller coaster. You're going to have good times. You're going to have bad times. And like we said, like the good times aren't as good if you haven't gone through the bad times. Yeah. And, you know, that's just life. And that's how I'm looking at this year. Like I'm going to be good. I'm going to be bad. But that's all part of the journey. I just, yeah, well, it's going to be over any second. And that's what do you do then after you've had two weeks of lying in an ice bath? Like what do you do? I'm genuinely <laughs> nervous because I've, I'm yeah. worried about not having that structure. And that's like, I mean, I'm someone like I've been, I've been, di- I've been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. You know, I, uh, structure has been a huge part of, of me being okay. You know, as long as I know what I'm focused on, I'm all right. When I don't know what I'm focused on, I know I'm, it's harder. Yeah. Um, in the last couple of months, I haven't been able to be very physical, which has sucked, but I've found other things too. Yeah. Take out that time because I know I'm not very, I know I'm not very good if I don't, I'm not going to, to be honest, I mean, like I'm fine by myself, but I'm not very good to be around. You know, there's three other people yeah. in my home and I don't want to get punished. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I think the structure is very important. Yeah. And, you know, whether that's getting yeah. up in the morning, having that glass of water before you have your breakfast, like just building some of those like key habits, it's a sense of purpose as well as like a sense of discipline. And I think having that in your life, yeah, you can always let your hair down. But for me, I find having that structure, that discipline, that purpose, it keeps me very focused. And I think what I'm going to struggle with is, yeah, just not having that that purpose to begin with. You know, yeah, you've earned some time off. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Like I want the time off, but I need something to keep my mind busy. I, I do know, though, I know someone who is a, in a very, very competitive cycling environment and they they didn't touch the bike for about four years yeah, right. after it ended. Because they, I, I, you know, I think the relationship or what the bike was meant to them uh, might have been a bit fraught. Um, sure. but thankfully, e-bikes came along, and this person was like, "Hey, this is fun." <laughs> like, uh, Wolf and I have a, we have a, yeah, we have a turn. That turn cargo bike is the one that he and I were talking about before. That's the fucking best, man. Yeah, carries two hundred kilos. Carries me and him and Audrey and our sun umbrella and everything down to the beach, down to the park. It's the best. I love it. I don't E-bikes give two shits that it's got though. motors on it. Whoa. Oh, mate, it's, it's, un, it's unreal. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Um, mate, you're – no one does this alone, and it's clear that you've got a very – you know, you're very focused. You're a person who has, has an un, unreasonable amount of focus and drive, all right? There's there's no question you have that considering the things that you've done in your life. Yet every every player needs a coach. What are some things that you've found, whether it be on this adventure or previous, that your coach or coaches have said to you that have really made a difference? Um, surrounding yourself with people. So, yeah, I'm, I spend a lot of time alone on the bike and I don't mind doing that. But I think the power of having people around you to pick up your energy, whether that's a partner, whether that's the family, whether that's friends, going and actually spending time doing something different with other people is really powerful. And taking your mind off, for me it's work. So taking my mind away from work and doing something different is, you know, a breath of fresh air and, you know, trying to focus on different things so like like a hobby like I don't have a hobby but I want a hobby and back in Australia I used to surf a lot um you know like I I used to love woodwork like at the moment I'm looking for something that I can do that gives me that escape from the cycling not that I hate the cycling but I realized that I need a break from it 
And you yeah. know, if I can go to the beach and have a surf, if I can go to the mountains in winter and you know, snowboard for, for a couple of hours, like it keeps life exciting. It keeps life fresh. And doing that with other people is, you know, it's a whole lot of fun. And while I get caught up with doing my own thing on the bike and being super, super focused, one thing I've realized these last couple of years is that you need to switch off from what you're doing and you need to engage with other people in other walks of life to see what else is going on in the world, similar to what you said. Speaking of surfing, it just reminded me of it. Lane Beachley um, is a legendary surfer anywhere in the world. She has this saying, if you focus on the why, the how will figure itself out. Has finding the why helped you do these incredible ultra distance races and, and, and adventures? Yeah. And for me, I think there's two whys. The reason I'm doing it is because I actually enjoy that sense of pushing myself. And I'm also doing it because I want to help others. And at times when I'm out there and it is difficult and I don't really want to be out there, I have to remind myself, like, why am I doing this? And it's because I'm actually trying to make a difference. I'm trying to help somebody that doesn't have the ability to help themselves. For me, that's generally enough. Like, I, The fact that I enjoy pushing myself is secondary now to, I guess, that, that first primary goal is... I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I have access to mental health care and I have people around me. But there's people, you know, I've got neighbours and there's people living, you know, a stone's throw from me that don't have that. And I find that it's unfair that they don't have that. And for me, like if I can ride a bike and I can make a difference while I'm riding a bike, then my purpose in life, like I feel very content. That's how I get through some difficult times. That's so brilliant to hear. Mate, I could talk to you for a long time and if my hip was, I swear to God, mate, if my hip was any better, <laughs> if I was in a different space, I would find I would find a way to come and, you know, be a part of that last one because I'm pretty sure you've got some some pretty heavy hitters already lined up <laughs> to uh, come and join you on the on that on that last one. And I'm also um, you know, very thrilled that as a man who's constantly searching for calories, um, I believe that there's a, a Haribo gummy factory outlet in your town. There is indeed. I know it very well. <laughs> it's close. Do they know you on a first-name basis? <laughs> <laughs> I know them on a first-name basis. <laughs> mate, I love it. Dude, it, it just – you're the best, mate. Thank you so much for taking the time with me. I know you know it's very busy for you right now and every hour of your day must be really structured around recovery and stuff like that. So thank you really for taking the time to do this. And I'm, I'm stoked, mate. I'm just so stoked for you that you're even doing it. Like I'm just, I'm just stoked that you are doing it for you. You know that you, the things you're finding out about yourself, because I know the things I've found about myself facing stuff like, and nothing like you, but like facing my own challenges is like, you just you recreate yourself as a human, you know. Uh, and that's I, the thing that I don't know if people can realize. You know, like you have every day, you you can com- make a completely different version of yourself. Your yeah. brain will re fucking wire doing stuff like this, and it's amazing. Mate, it's been good to talk about it because it also helps me to you know, realize some of these things, getting your perspective yeah. on it and sort of you know bouncing back and forth. It's been good. Mate, I'm so grateful. Sleep. Do all the sleep <laughs> in the world. <laughs> January 1. And uh, when you... Yeah, man. All right. Well, you take care, all right? And I, and I, I can't wait to follow you as, you, as you, you cross that finish line, man. Thanks, mate. We'll chat soon. 
That was Jack Thompson. You can find him on Instagram. Uh, Links in the show notes. Discord link is there too. As is the link to donate to Jack's epic efforts. I've got to say... A big thanks to everyone that did come to our fake news show the other night. Uh, we did a, a live show. We tested our new live show the other week, and it was awesome. We filmed a bit of it. I edited it up. I sent it to some people I know in the uh, live industry. I've got to say, it's been a long time in my career. Like not since like 20 years since early 2002, when we were doing some things at Channel V. The, the industry was just like, what? I haven't had buzz or feedback from the industry about a project I've been working on like this since then like it's pretty exciting things are it's looking like we might get something regular up maybe even build towards something bigger we're going to see how we go but i'll for sure keep you posted but yeah thanks if you came last friday to help us out thank you so much it's been a hell of a week um been a lot of meetings pretty excited about it pretty scared about it uh shit scared actually because i've jumped there's no net i spoke all the all about this like the day of the show when I, I on a Friday I spoke all about how scary it was but fuck just start man just start see what happens and then if we're trying to build something bigger just start if it doesn't work we'll figure it out just keep going in that direction it, and to be honest that's how all the cool shit in my career has ever happened never when I waited always when I just started I'll keep you posted reach out if you need to uh, the links are in the show notes <laughs> it's just a link tree <laughs> I had a website, but fuck, it's too hard. Who knows? Squarespace? Meh. <laughs> I'm back here on Wednesday. Thanks heaps to Bree Steele on research and support, Andy Marr on post-production, video and audio, Michael Mills, also known as Toe Hider, who made all the music, Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of this and everything I make. Until we speak again, do the work you need to do. You know what you need to do. It's okay. You don't have to be told. As long as you do it. Oh, my God, that was about to rhyme. As long as you do it. You'll get through it. Fuck, that's the worst, but it rhymes. Uh, I'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.